You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Campus Beat's fourth season. I'm Dinah Jansen. On August 27th, Tropical Storm Ida strengthened into a hurricane moving north-northwest from the Gulf of Mexico, making landfall on the Louisiana coast on August 28th, with winds reaching 240 kilometers an hour. Now a tropical depression as of September 1st, Ida proved to be the second most intense hurricane to strike Louisiana on record, only after Hurricane Katrina. In the wake of Ida, four people have died, more than a million people still remain without power largely in and around New Orleans, while widespread heavy infrastructural damage and heavy floods amounting to an estimated $15 billion in insured losses have occurred. With us today to talk about this disaster and its lasting effects is Corey Pash of the Department of Political Studies at Queen's University. Welcome back to CFRC, Corey. Hi, it's it's wonderful to be back and uh, to to uh, to have the opportunity to speak on on uh, what's going on. Wonderful, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. Now, Corey, I understand you are a PhD candidate in the Department of Political Studies. Before we launch into our discussion, maybe you'd like to remind us about uh, who you are and uh, what you're doing over in political studies. Yeah, so my my PhD looks at uh, catastrophic risk and disasters, and specifically the governance of of, of these events. Um, you know, th- my dissertation focuses primarily on on uh, insurance and reinsurance and different ways in which uh, governments, different actors, are trying to navigate um, what is an increasingly um, you know, crisis-prone planet, uh, and one that's seeing, uh, as we're seeing with Ida and in uh, previous events, uh, even just in this past year, um, uh, increasingly, increasingly um, impactful and, and damaging. And so, you know, I'm I'm uh, working on 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 that aspect of it. Uh, but you know, I've I've also I've taught uh, quite a few course quite a few courses on. Uh, Disaster, disaster governance, catastrophic risk, um, and also climate change and the impacts of climate change. And I, I approach this this issue area from a kind of a, a kind of a macro political social level. And so, um, I one of the one of the most important things I think uh, that I'd like to speak to today and to try and uh, um, push back against narratives of these kind of Oh, it's a disaster! It's this moment of, of crisis, and then we can move forward. Is that uh, all of these events are, are interconnected and and uh, interconnected in a in a very inter- intimate way? And so, when we're trying to understand what's going on with Ida, we should uh, contextualize that understanding within the broader macro, political, socioeconomic events that are shaping our times. Okay, thank you so much. And we will dive deeply into that in the next few minutes. But before that, let's just break it down. What's been actually happening in Louisiana over the last several days? Yeah, so um, I think you did an, did an excellent job kind of providing a summation at the, at the start of the segment. But, you know, there's a, 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 a there's there's a million people without power. 
Uh, that includes the entire city of New Orleans. Um, Louisiana Gulf Coast was impacted by Ida, uh, which was uh, at the time of landfall, a category five, four hurricane uh, with, uh, as you said, uh, wind speeds of 240 kilometers an hour or 150 miles per hour. Uh, that also included a seven foot storm surge, as well as up to two feet of rain in various parts of the region. Uh, and I think it's really important for, for the listeners to note that, that that is a stronger storm than Katrina was. Um, when it impacted. Katrina was a category three. And also of, of note is that uh, Ida struck New Orleans uh, 16 years to the day uh, of uh, Hurricane Katrina, which was uh, August 29th. Uh, oh, wow. 2005. So it's, you know, Ida is not only a more powerful storm than, than Katrina, but there's kind of this historical uh, tethering to Katrina with 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 the timing of Ida. All right. So let's dig in a little bit more here, Corey. Can you tell us more about some of the interactions of crises that are happening here insofar as this disaster has hit a city that is still arguably recovering from Katrina 16, that happened 16 years ago, is still surviving through this pandemic. And now there's this uh, new massive hurricane. Tell us about the interaction of crises. What's happening? Yeah. So, I mean, when I look at this, I see uh, compounding disasters and, you know, compounding, you know, a disaster can be compounded both from the interactions of particular components of one one event. So, for example, the uh, Great Kyoto earthquake is usually uh, cited in this regard in which you had an earthquake that then resulted in a massive uh, fire. And so it compounded the impacts of the earthquake in that way. Disasters can also be compounded by having multiple events interact and uh, negatively uh, kind of multiply each other's impacts. And that's what we're seeing here uh, with Ida. So not, you know, absolutely that kind of historical connection to Katrina and the long uh, historical impacts going back 16 years to Katrina and where New Orleans was at prior to Ida impacting, but also the impacts of the of uh, COVID nineteen and the the crisis that's unfolding in Louisiana right now, and that's a state that has, uh, I should note, only forty percent full vaccination. And so, you know, going back to the impacts of Ida, um, it, one of the things uh, that that's in, that 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 has complicated it is that. They had difficulty evacuating patients from hospitals ahead of the storm, especially patients in intensive care. Uh, many, you know, and many of those patients had uh, COVID nineteen, or were you know, portion of them were COVID nineteen patients. And part of that difficulty uh, was was uh, compounded from another crisis that's ongoing, which is the climate crisis. In that uh, Ida. Uh, had tremendous speed reaching hurricane strength. It formed four days prior to landfall in the Caribbean and attained uh, wind speeds of 240 kilometers an hour, as we were saying. And so that, that, that uh, impacts the ability of authorities there to actually um, uh, fully evacuate people and to mini- you know, minimize uh, the impacts as best that they can. And so uh, also in terms of the power outage, 
uh, you have a million people without power, including the entire city of New Orleans, and that complicates care for people that are there, including the provision of supplemental oxygen, because those machines run off of electricity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, COVID is um, uh, affects people's ability and get oxygen and to, you know, supplemental oxygen is part of the treatment for, for, for COVID. And I should say that that uh, Louisiana is also uh, in one of its deadliest surges of COVID-19 right now. So uh, the governor re-implement, uh, reimposed a mask mandate back on August 2nd. And, uh, but they are, they are seeing, um, they were seeing uh, tremendous spikes, um, um, quite a few uh, deaths. And so you can, you can see how all of these various uh, disastrous events can compound on one another uh, to amplify the impacts. And that isn't even getting into the kind of um, the deeper issues of the vulnerability and who actually is vulnerable, which cuts across um, class, uh, race, uh, uh, gender, a whole bunch of different factors that that impact which individuals and which segments of society are, are uh are more affected than others. So let's pick up on that. Um, can we talk a bit more about what the pandemic has revealed about disaster readiness and at the same time what Hurricane Ida has revealed about COVID-19's impact, perhaps at the, the social, the political and economic levels? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what it shows, uh, and I mean, this is some of my own my own personal bias, but I think what it shows is that um, those kind of foundational aspects of our of our politics and our economics uh, really matter when it comes to how natural hazards play out. And so, COVID nineteen has been politicized. It has been uh, you know used as a as a, uh, a political talking point. Uh, it's been in- integrated into the culture war, particularly around masking and vaccine use. And the way in which COVID-19 has kind of played out in our society has definitely detrimental impacts on uh, readiness for, for a storm such as Ida. So I was speaking previously in terms of um, complicating, uh, complicating evacuation efforts. Um, it also, it, it complicates uh, the ability of hospitals to provide care to, to those who may be injured from, from the storm. Uh, it also complicates uh, evacuation efforts in the sense that uh, you know you're sending people to uh, evacuation centers where they could be potentially exposed to COVID-19, and so it it really kind of emphasizes the need to have a to have a rethink about how these types of issues are are uh, presented and being understood by the by the public and to try and, in my opinion, diffuse the politicization as best as possible uh, and to understand that disasters, especially when we're looking at them from a, from a kind of compounding perspective, it's really important to emphasize getting control of and um, reducing the impacts of COVID-19 in especially in areas that are more prone to other types of risk mm-hmm. and that we can't, that when we're thinking about uh, COVID-19, 
um, that disaster preparedness and societal resilience to catastrophic events should be part of the, those conversations, just as the impacts of climate change should also be part of those, those conversations. So with, Louise, with, with, with Ida and Louisiana and, and the, the kind of intensification of, of um, these types of storms, you know, we recently had uh, the IPCC report that came out um, that, you know, effectively said that the burning of fossil fuels is responsible for about 80% of emissions that are contributing to climate change and that it, it is definitively increasing both the frequency and intensity of storms like Ida. And that's through things like warmer air can hold more moisture, which means you can have more storms and you can have more powerful storms that, can, that have more moisture in them that can then have stronger flooding. It's also doing things like uh, reducing the speed at which storms move so that storms can sit longer over an area and cause more flooding. So that two feet of rain that Ida dropped um, in parts of the Gulf Coast is, is part of that. We also saw that previously going back into history with Hurricane Harvey. And uh, there's other research out there that shows that climate change is actually uh, weakened um, what are called shear force winds off the coast, southern coast mm-hmm. of the U.S., which tended to act as a kind of a natural buffer against these storms making landfall. And so you have less uh, of, an, of that, that buffer gets, gets eroded. And that's also interconnected, you know, that's also interconnected with the fact that, you know, Louisiana is also a hub for the U.S.'s oil and gas industry. And so Ida made, a, made, made landfall at Port Fourchan, which is a, a, a hub city for, for the industry. And there were over 600 industrial sites uh, with, uh, with potential to release toxic chemicals in Ida's path. Mm. So like all of these different impacts um, connect in and um, are, should be part of these kind of broader macro conversations about catastrophic risks, societal resilience, the impacts of, of climate change and disasters and the compounding of disasters moving forward. So it's not just, it's not just um, like the oil and gas industry per se, but also in terms of choices that were made uh, in the building of canals around, around New Orleans. So, you know, they, the Mississippi River Gulf outlet is the one that I've, you know, um, studied myself and taught on, um, which was an, a canal that was built to facilitate um, the, the flow of, of, of oil and gas uh, and, and shipping in, into the city. Um, but that resulted in uh, the devastation of um, na- ad- additional natural storm barriers, um, which had an impact on Katrina's ability to Katrina's storm surge, because uh, that canal increased the salinity of the swamps around the, sit- the city of New Orleans, and that decimated the mangroves, which is another form of natural natural storm surge barrier. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have choices around uh, policy choices, economic choices around how to move forward in that area. Uh, and that has, you know, knock on effects in terms of the impacts of, 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 of disasters and the compounding of catastrophic risk. Okay. So on that note, then what are some of the varying responses that we are seeing at the federal and state level specific to Ida? 
Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of Ida, uh, and I will admit, you know, I've, I've tried to stay up, uh, up to date uh, as best that I can. But in terms of Ida, what we're seeing right now, uh, President Biden has declared a state of emergency, which is going to allow for the release of um, uh, the access to uh, uh, federal emergency funding, which is good. Um, I, FEMA has released, has, um, has uh, responded. Uh, they've also um, provided, I believe, uh, medical teams to assist with the, the kind of COVID-19 aspect of uh, the impacts of uh, the kind of compounding of COVID-19 with, with Ida. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the state level, um, uh, Governor Edwards has, I believe he's doing uh, what he can, but he's also, he's also issued um, um, uh, a statement uh, telling uh, evacuees to simply stay out of the city and to stay where they are. So... I mean, and that's difficult too. Uh, we saw uh, long-term um, impacts with, with Katrina with, with some people even 16 years uh, later not being able to return to the city, but that's happening again, uh, telling people that you know, they shouldn't return because, of, because that they, they won't have water, they won't have power, uh, the, city, uh, the, the city's hospitals are, are, are at capacity or overrun. And again, that, that cuts, cuts across uh, a variety of different factors that, um, that result in, in vulnerability and who has to evacuate and why and the type of evacuation experience that they have versus others. And uh, yeah, so uh, right now uh, it's, it's from, from what I've um, read and seen, it's still very much uh, a situation that's, that's in flux and up in the air. And uh, it's hard to it's it's hard to say what we're going to see in terms of the impacts to the COVID nineteen uh, surge and uh, and peaks that uh, Louisiana was seeing, um, uh, and and surrounding states as well because uh, you know uh, evacuate evacuees also uh, evacuated to other states, mm -hmm. uh, so that that can have impacts in terms of the spread of of uh, uh, the Delta variant mm -hmm. in, in the in the in the southern U.S. So what more might we expect with the lasting social and political effects uh, that these compounded disasters have had? I mean, I think what we're going to see is just uh, continued knock-on effects, um, continued uh, impacts, usually to the, the, the most vulnerable. Um, you know, it's, it's frontline communities in, in areas like uh, Cancer Alley, that um, who have been fighting against, uh, you know, um, uh, fossil fuel corporations and and other uh, parts of the industry there because they are experiencing higher rates of cancer and such. Um, but I think without without uh, you know serious uh, kind of reconsideration of of the the impacts of the choices that we're that we're making in terms of how we how we operate as a society in, in terms of power in terms of reliance on fossil fuels everything from the decisions to build canals that can facilitate deeper hulled ships um to, to other choices um they're all interconnected and uh really we need we need um we need real change um uh, real structural change that that uh, seeks to target both the reduction in vulnerability of those communities that are most vulnerable and has, have historically been most vulnerable, as well as um, uh, fundamentally change our, our, our relationship with, 
with uh, the planet and with uh, and, and our the way in which our economy operates uh, to reduce the impacts of of, um, of of disasters and also also reduce and mitigate the compounding of catastrophic risks. And one of the things um, that is, is something that I try and and work hard on myself is to, to not fall victim to ideas of, of catastrophism or hopelessness in the face of these kind of mounting crises that we're seeing, especially after, you know, uh, over a year and a half of COVID as well, is to center hope in terms of, in terms of those, um, the kind of finding the, the way forward and to really push for, for meaningful change that's going to, to make, uh, make an impact uh but without that without without that meaningful change then it you know then it it it, it becomes hard to, to maintain that hope so so um you know there's there's the uh the infrastructure package that's going through uh in the u.s congress there's um a push for the new green new deal um you know even here in canada we're seeing that too with um with the federal election and uh various ways to um to you know, talk about the climate crisis and to really focus on how we can, how we can uh, uh, move forward in a way that's going to reduce, reduce catastrophic risk. But it can even be things like, so for example, just to go back to um, New Orleans again, uh, one of the reasons why they're, they're seeing so much, so much power outage is that they still have over overhead power lines. And so one of the things that they could do is to sink those power lines underground to reduce their risk of actually being uh, knocked out during a uh, during a storm like or a hurricane like Ida and it's interesting that that is also um, you see that that is also connected to things like the wildfires in California so one of the ways to reduce wildfire risk in California is to bury those power lines in the states so that they they present less of a risk for sparking wildfires but again these are you know, it's it's not simply a question of knowing what the the correct policy approach is, but it's 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 a question of the of the the politics and the economics around it. So there are reasons why why that those strategies aren't being uh, enacted, and we have to have broader conversations about about the kind of macro po politics and economics of why those decisions are being made, and uh, it's it's. And, 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 and until we have those conversations, it's going to be, you know, band-aid solutions that, that don't really address the underlying um, structural kind of causes of, of the, the, the catastrophic risk and the disasters that we're seeing. Okay. Well, thank you very much, folks. We have been chatting with Corey Pash of the Department of Political Studies here at Queen's University about Hurricane Ida, the interaction of crises between that hurricane and the current pandemic, and of course, uh, what the pandemic has revealed about disaster readiness and vice versa, and uh, as well as uh, lasting impacts. Thank you very much, Corey, for joining us once again on CFRC 101.9 FM. Yeah, you're welcome, Dino. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.